welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 53. Uh, We are well into the spring season here in Sydney, and I know for a lot of you guys up in the Northern Hemisphere, things are starting to look a little bit autumn-y. It's just such a beautiful time of year, no matter where you are, because it's not sweltering hot nor super, super cold yet, and it's just that beautiful change of seasons that's such a joy to witness. Now, I have an amazing friend with me today on the podcast. Jude Blarow is joining me. And I, as I say, when I, when I start chatting to her, you'll hear me say, how is it that I have made it to 53 shows and not had you on the show yet? I'm actually not sure how that happened because if there's anyone I can think of that can help us really see the wood from the trees when it comes to food, food confusion and cutting our own path based on how we develop a relationship of nourishment and connection around food and do that in just such a healthy, non-diety, non-fatty, non-deprivational, non-needing to buy every single new superfood on the planet way, it's Jude Blarow. So I can't wait to hook into that conversation today. Before I do, I have two wonderful show supporters. Today, I am welcoming back the beautiful Peter and her gorgeous Goodness Me Box team to the show with their incredible offer of 40% off your first box. Now, Goodness Me Box is a beautiful Australian business that basically packages up all of the thoughtful food products that are out there. Now, we always talk about moving from products to produce. And anyone who lives in an urban, fast-paced environment knows that of the products that we do buy, we want to at least make sure we're doing a great thing for our families, for our health, for the planet. And what I love about Goodness Me Box is their commitment to being genetically modified foods free and also their commitment to sustainability and packaging responsibility wherever possible. And they really they really work with brands to, to help grow them by making them more mindful as well with the way they're connecting with people and getting in touch with what people like us, low toxes, really want when we shop for some convenience pantry items and still find that little bit of excitement in in getting something new every now and then that we haven't tried before. So Goodness Me Box is a great way to do that. It's a fantastic gift subscription. If you've got a friend out there that you're thinking, oh, I'd love to just give her or him a little three months worth of Goodness Me Boxes because you can cancel at any time. And to get 40% off the first box and to know that you can cancel at any time, there is absolutely nothing to lose. So why not give it a try? A couple of months ago I got a huge great full-size Pix peanut butter and that's one of my favorite things so there's some really amazing value in the boxes it's not just teeny tiny samples that's them really in the mix with a couple of full-size things as well and um, and you really do get value for money so enjoy that and I loved getting all the feedback from the people who took them up on it last time so great to know you guys are enjoying it Now I have, secondly, the wonderful sampling opportunity from 180 Nutrition and they are sending you two sample packs that have two serves in each so you can try two different flavors. The only thing you have to do is to click get my samples and pay a $7.95 postage and handling fee. Uh, What I love about them sending you two, very, very generous for free, is that you get to try them both and see which one you want to move forward with. So enjoy either of or both of those samples and let's get chatting to the gorgeous inimitable uh, Jude Blurrow. Enjoy. Hello Jude, how are you? Oh good morning Alex, I'm good. I've got my cup of tea and I'm ready. <laughs> You're let's ready. jump into it. Hello everybody. <laughs> 
Do you know, it was so funny. We were having a quick chat before I pressed record and I just realised I'd had a year of podcasting and you hadn't been on my show and there's something fundamentally wrong with that because... Oh, profoundly wrong. Oh, my gosh. I'm except, just going to make a public apology right now. Well, except I think we live in the world where a year equals one blink of your eyes. Sure so does. that's kind of fair enough. Really, you've been <laughs> in a year's gone past. Sure does. Today's big. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about, but I'd love to start because we've got lots of people from overseas who join us for the show and potentially some Australian peeps who are under a rock and haven't heard of you before. (laughs) Again, there's something fundamentally wrong with that, but could you just share with everybody who doesn't know your amazing work, how you came to be such a, a whole food guru? Oh, my goodness. My daughter would roll on the floor in hysterics <laughs> at the word guru. I know. But, I know I, I'm not a huge fan of that word normally, but I really no. do think that you are just this beautiful mother figure for us in Australia oh. to the whole food movement. And, Thank yeah. you. And That's... you've had a wonderful journey to get there. Really interesting twist and turn. So do share. Okay. I started off, oh, goodness, some 25 years ago now. Oh, no, let's just say. Let's even go back a little bit further. Very quickly, I grew up in the 50s in Perth, uh, Western Australia, and my mum is Italian, so big culture of real food in my family. She was also a nurse, and I, I kind of grew up with a very strong sense of food, but also healing, and I was really interested in both aspects of it. When I was little, the two things I used to play was designing dolls, clothes for my Barbie dolls and having fashion parades and teaching the neighbourhood kids how to cook. And they're the two things I've ended up doing. So I started out as a kindergarten teacher. I ended up in fashion because that's my love as a designer, but it didn't nourish my soul. And I was still madly interested in food, but I was madly interested in healing as well. And I was studying nutrition part-time because I just was finding fashion not feeding my soul enough. And I um, found nutrition very disillusioning and left me quite hollow. And I, at that time in 1986, I ended up, I got on a plane and went to New Orleans because I'd always kind of wondered why I was born in Perth and not New Orleans. So (laughs) I've had a few past lives there. And I got off that plane and I'm telling you, I got off the tarmac and I just kind of thought, oh, my God, I'm home. Anyway, oh, next wow. day. That's I'm so from... interesting. Do you know oh. as a teenager, I'm going to share something about myself here. Yeah. I, I was a hip-hop dancer. Loved <laughs> hip-hop dancing. I know. I, I, I told oh, you it would be. <laughs> oh, my God. And I used to go to every possible class, every master class, every big wig coming into town. You know, you'd get the person who did Janet Jackson film clips doing a master class at Sydney Dance <laughs> Company, so I'd be there. And I was auditioning to be in film clips and all this sort of stuff. And I honestly used to just say, why was I not born African-American? Like, why was I not born with the kind of blood that makes you dance like those people do? This is so unfair. Who knows what it is? Mm. All all I know is I got off that plane and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm home. And uh, anyway, the very next day I was in a bookshop and a book fell off the shelf and it was – Anne-Marie Goulburn's Food and Healing. Oh, wow. I know. Fell off the shelf. I've had a lot of nature support in my life and continue to do so. But anyway, I read that book and I'm like, oh, my God, this is my language. And so anyway, from that day in 1986, I came back 
I stopped doing that rubbish nutrition, which is just really intellectual and cognitive based. It's got no practical aspects that I can see to it. Well, that, that's not actually really right. But what I actually chose in a split second that downloaded, I wanted to take all that nutritional information or the stuff that's out there and translate it into the food that we eat. Because at the beginning and everything, the way we take in our nourishment is with our food. The way we take in fuel for our physical body is through our food. And we can also take in joy, deliciousness, etc. And so from then, so all those years I've been kind of involved in this. I started out with a macrobiotic training, which I did in the US, actually in New Orleans as well, because I actually ended up moving there and living there for a while. And really the rest of these years have been a journey in that. And I could, and I've been teaching for a very long time now. And I'm incredibly happy where I am. I've seen most aspects of what you would call whole food industry or natural foods industry, some that I used to believe in, others that I don't now, because I've seen what happens. I love being older. I'm 62 or might be more than that. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm about 62 or 63, I think. And I love having had that time to have had that longer journey in this industry to see the things that you thought were right but actually weren't. Can you share an example of one of those things? Yes, I think that for me one of the most powerful things would be vegan. I Earlier on in my days, I've never been an advocate of a vegan diet, but, but you know, I probably was, I would say, okay, just, you know, have an egg or, or if, if you can just have an egg or, or have butter, then that's fine. I don't think it is and I don't think it's enough. And I, my personal feeling for me, I was vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I went through that stage of, you know, meat is evil or it's not ethical or sustainable. Dairy is, is not good for us, blah, blah. And for me, I absolutely know that what myself and that generation and you need to remember that was that 60s in the coming out of uh, San Francisco Francis Moore Lappe uh, diet for a small planet and all that kind of thing and I think that it was the only way that we as that generation knew how to say things are not well and this is the responsibility of every generation and they find a language in which to do it now having had many years, longer years, that you might get away with being vegan when you're younger, sure, but I can tell you, you will generally hit the wall, particularly for women, when you are in your 40s and 50s. And I, a large clientele in my food coaching practice over the year has been women in their 40s and 50s that are shot, like the hair's falling out, their bones are terrible, all, all sorts of issues, eating this clean, in inverted commas, vegan in inverted commas kind of diet so that would be a small example i'm not advocating mass meat eating in any way shape or form oh, gosh no yeah um it's not sustainable but i do believe that there are ethical ways to include animal products in your diet don't have to have a lot of them but you do need some mm, interesting and mm. I, I love what you say about how beautiful it is to get older I, i'm 40 nearly 42 but i'm already starting to feel that beautiful feeling that you get when you think ah another fad yep let it just wind yes. on over <laughs> and let's yeah. just oh, yeah, eat our veggies and a good little bit of meat here and there and yeah, yeah let's be along our merry way <laughs> not exactly. freak out too much and listen exactly. to your body and all the good things yeah. Mm. yeah yeah and so when was the first book 
my first book, Whole Food, Heal, Nourish and Delight, that came out in oh, 2006, I think, or it might have been 2008. Oh, God, I can't remember. But that book was actually started in New Orleans. It took me a long time to write because, you know, at that time I was raising my daughter, I was working, oh, and I had a little sidetrack, nuts that I was, like with a business partner, we opened one of the first whole food stores, you know, like kind of about life kind of thing or whole foods but on a much smaller scale. But it was large enough in Perth uh, and we had a cafe as well. So the three years of that cafe, that's if you see grey hairs in my hair, that's where they came from. So I had a detour there. I'm pretty sure that was 2006. Mm-hmm. 2008, I wrote Coming Home to Eat, Whole Food for the Family, and that remains one of my very favourite books. It's very accessible. You know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and there's a little bit of preserving in there and sweetness. Yeah, Coming Home to Eat, Whole Food for the Family. 2010, I think I was really beginning to get a much better lay of the land and I wrote a book that I'm exceptionally proud of, which is Whole Food for Children. That's nourishing favourite book. Organic foods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it really reflects my development as a writer and you can see a greater reflection and understanding of the journey in that book. 2013, Whole Food Baking, and that currently is out of print, but fingers crossed it will be reprinted shortly, so that's in the works, which is great. And then... The book that came out last year, in a sense, is what's called Whole Food from the Ground Up. And in a sense, that book is a reworking of my first book, Whole Food, Heal, Nourish and Delight. While it isn't a reworking of the actual words or recipes in it, Whole Food, my first book, was my, I guess you could say, my manifesto, my guys, look, this is how you do it. This is, if this is the path you want to go, we can make yummier things than some of this stuff that's out there. Whole Food from the Ground Up is reflects very much where I am now, what I see as foundational whole food principles, what I see and understand and see. I wanted to answer the question, what makes the food we eat wholesome and healthy and ethical and sustainable? Because in many cases, it's not what you think. Not eating meat does not mean you are being ethical. I'm sorry, and, and but that is just my experience with what I see. There are many grey areas in this. It's not just a simple black and white thing. And so it was my desire to say this is what, these are the things that really matter. These are the things that, that actually will have an impact and have matter. And then this is how you do it mm. in, in with recipes. And um, I'm very happy with that book. Oh, beautiful. And it is such an excellent book. And I don't know, did I ever tell you the story about how I came across your work? No, I don't think you have, but have tell I? me again. <laughs> I'll tell you again. It's, it's a nice story. You might start blushing, Jude. But <laughs> I was very skint when my little guy was newborn, very, very skint. And I had been given at the time a $50 David Jones voucher, you know, just new yeah. mum, yada, yada, Christmas, whatever yeah. it was. And so the little guy, I think, was just starting on solids. And I remember taking this gift voucher and for some reason being led to the cookbook section. Now, I had probably been about 
five years into cooking well. Now, I grew up in the age of convenience and had been exposed to great French cooking through my French side of the family, but had never really been brought into the kitchen to make anything other than the odd cupcake, like many Aussie kids. And so I had started becoming really interested in food, especially when uh, switching to real food and ditching all the processed stuff with my naturopath got me out of the tonsillitis loop that I was in. Uh, and it was sort of one of those, wow, okay, food really makes a difference. How else can I make a difference? And certainly when my little guy was born, I am I'm definitely going to be making a difference to this guy. So I took it and there was, I don't like untidy bookshelves and your book was messed up like it was on its side or something on the shelf. And so another little nature moment in a bookshop. See, I was just thinking the same thing. I know. And that's why I sort of got goosebumps when you said that. And then I turned it over and then I went, God, those cupcakes look nice because <laughs> you've got that the beautiful vanilla bean cupcakes on the cover. And I looked inside and I thought, oh, wow, this looks really interesting. And I had wanted to find one place to sweep over everything I wanted to learn about food as this little guy yep. was just about to start eating food. And that first 72 pages, which is essentially a food education Bible, if I were to put it in my words, was exactly what I needed. And then I read all of your recommended reading and then I read all their recommended reading and I spent two years reading and going, whew, okay. <laughs> what, what am I going to do with that? Because there's a lot of people who are freaking out about food out there and don't know how to cook and don't know what to do and blah, blah. So I jumped on board myself and that's what I spent pretty much the only spare 50 bucks I had at that time on that voucher, your book. I think one of the things that for an author, it is, it's very humbling when you hear stories like that because I, and I know that you will understand this because we're, our birthdays for all the listeners are very close together. Mm -hmm. I think I'm on the Saggy side, you're on the Scorpio side. That's right. But we're like really a couple of days apart, so we're both a little cusp. And, and I think it would be fair to say that we're both really on a mission. That's a fairly strong aspect of this kind of little Sag Scorpio cusp. Yep. And to know that you are making an impact because it, it's like is such a deeply rewarding and humbling thing to be invited into people's homes for them to trust you, for them to have their book in your home is a deeply humbling experience, but it's also profoundly fulfilling because what you're doing, and, and one of the things that I like to talk about a lot, and you're going to see a lot of this reflected actually in, in when I finally get my online classes up, <laughs> um, which will happen um, this year. Yay. Um, yay. Yes. Fingers crossed for October. But one of the books, and I know that we've got lots to talk about, but this is a really interesting thing and I, I think it's really relevant for the listeners as well. One of the most profound books for me, uh, and I think a lot of the American listeners will, will recognise this book, is a book called Laurel's Kitchen. Mm. Do you know that book? Yeah, I do. So I love, there's a, an amazing essay. So a lot of that stuff in the book is a little bit outdated, but the, the essay in the beginning is just amazing. It's called The Work at Hand. And in it, Carol uh, Flanders or Flinders talks about how what we're trying to do is build a prototype of the world that we want. And kind of I was building that prototype in my books and wanting to share that with people. But the thing that she talks about is that what we do is clear a space around where we live, so to speak, and say, this is what I want to happen in the space we are. And then 
as more and more people clear that space, those spaces start to overlap. And in my mind, what I was seeing was that a quilt has been formed. The whole has been formed as those patches overlap. And when you buy that book, that's a little bit, so that little space gets a little bit bigger. And, and then you've done that with other people. And in the end, what we're building, I think, is a brave new world. And you'll see that very much reflected on the, this idea of, of patches and becoming a whole quilt on the online classes. But for me, that's what your story about the book is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we can get so disheartened if we're coming at this from our own little corner of the world. You know, you don't have you don't have to be a big online publisher. You don't have to be an author with six books. You no. No. can just be a regular parent yep. who's trying to make the changes and then their kid gets made fun of at school because they've got the normal yep. food lunchbox and everyone else has got the weird packets. Yep. But they're the weird ones. Go yep. figure. And little situations like that and I love that idea of all of us feeling like what we're actually working towards here is stitching our own little patch for that big big beautiful quilt um, yeah but you are that, mm. that's what you're all doing and you travel all over excuse me I travel all over and I can tell you the thing that, that I hear most from people is they feel alone or isolated or their in-laws treat them as as silly or the school treats them as silly, or people that they thought were their good friends treat them as silly, and people feel alone, but you're not. Mm. And it's how you build the new, and it's how you build the whole is bit by bit. Beautiful. Oh, so good. It's so true. And one of the things I guess, and this might be the, a really good thing for us to start with, I love how we're starting 20 minutes into our chat, Jude. And that was bound to happen that's, with that's you. That's very and- us. <laughs> So is this sense of feeling alone and this sense of like you read a a book that you just feel such an affinity with and and you see that it's not one of those black and white tomes that's trying to make you become, choose anything specific other than beautiful whole food and, and what agrees with you and your family and your body. And you then start to go about procuring everything. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of people think, oh, well, I've decided I want to eat a whole foods diet, ditch all the processed stuff, try and shop organic where I can. Um, We've done a great three-part series a couple of months ago. Please, if this is something that's of interest to you guys, make sure you listen to those shows because there are so many tips in there on the affordability front and access front and how to kind of cut corners but still get amazing produce. But... You know, when we start, we think, oh, this is just all going to happen in a week or a month. But it doesn't, does it? My experience has been that it's usually a two to five year journey. Mm. It's like everything you've got to take it step by step. And I think I wrote that in my first book. And what I hear from a lot of people is that has been incredibly comforting to them. And it's also incredibly important that you learn one thing at a time or take one step at a time. Because otherwise, I promise you, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're going to go, oh my God, this is just driving me nuts, and you're going to quit. But the place you're going to start is going to be sourcing your food, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> how many traps for young players? <laughs> That's right, and it can be super disheartening. I remember, yeah. I have to say, 2017, anyone who's just starting out now out there and getting curious, you're coming in at a really good spot because 10 years you're ago... So- Ah. 10 years ago it was even harder but there are still a lot of people who it's difficult for who might be in really remote areas or um or even in urban areas where you still feel like you need to get to sort of six 
or seven locations yep. to find to get everything that you're yep. wanting to get. Yes. Have you got any um like what I mean you've just moved Tips. to a new area yourself a few months ago. So did you have to totally rebuild from scratch? Yep, totally. Cuz mm. I I didn't move like I I lived 5 minutes literally 5 minutes and a 15 minute walk from the city. Mm. Um, and I'd lived there pretty much that radius of the city of Perth pretty much all of my life. Yeah. And I moved to an hour drive up to the Upper Swan Valley, which is a, it is a large wine kind of growing area, very different. But before I, I would say that, the thing that I would say to people is the most important thing that I believe that you can do is to buy the food that you're eating as close as possible to the person who grows it. Okay, now, so, and I think you're going to have to separate what you buy. So, for example, in, in a sense, separate your food. So you're going to have your fruit and veggies and meat, you know, like your, your the produce that is seasonal and fresh and then the produce that can be stored, so to speak, like flowers and dried fruits and drink or stuff like that, that you're, prob- you're going to have to look at differently. So let's look at your... I can't think of the word popping into my mind, but the thing that, that doesn't last and is ultimately going to go off. So that's all your, you know, your, your perishables. Yeah. Perishables. That's <laughs> the word I was looking for. So I think that an foundational whole food principle is forming a relationship with the person who grows your food. And ultimately you want your food grown on the best possible soil. So you're going to probably be going to a farmer's market or a grower's market, whatever they call it. But again, once you get to that market, you need to look for people who are actually selling what that what they grow themselves, not what they've gone to a market and bought in. Form a relationship with that person or the meat people there or the egg people there. And that is a much cheaper and fresher and more deeply nourishing way than to go to a shop, albeit Whole Foods in the US, and I maybe I shouldn't say names because I might get hate letters from some of the shop, but I have to tell you, I see a lot of Whole Foods stores around Australia. Mm. I'm ashamed of most of them. Yeah, there are a lot of processed foods creeping into oh, these so-called even, health shops. Not even, not even the processed foods, the quality Mm. of fruit and vegetables is mm. appalling and the cost of them is absolutely appalling. Best in Australia are in Victoria. Victoria, Melbourne, but what doesn't do Mel- re- Melbourne do really well? They love uh, to be better at us than everything, <laughs> everything but they are, especially the, when it comes the, the to food. Fruit and vegetable, the, my experience has yeah. been that, that, that they're the best. I have just seen some the, you know of shops I tend to avoid buying my perishables in a organic or whole food or whatever kind of shop you want to call it. I tend not to buy those things there. So it takes a bit of time to work out how to do that. When I was living in North Perth, I would do a five-minute drive down to Subiaco Farmer's Market where I'd sussed out my little, you know, okay, I go to Hamill Homegrown, first of all, who grow three hours south of Perth and they bring up what they grow. Then I'd go to Jim Turner who grows a little bit further down south and both of them are certified organic. I would then go to the lady next to them that that is not there all the time, but she's there when the stone fruit season is and she's not organic and she does use Roundup on the ground, but she doesn't spray the fruit trees. Mm-hmm. But they're the only plums that I can get that are still like old, from old, beautiful 
trees that have been planted for years and they're like not, they've got some flavour and they're delicious and they're beautiful. And so so in a situation like that, is it more about like making the best choice that's available to you with what you've got? You are always redefining your line. Yeah. Every time you shop, you are every day in so many aspects of our life, we are redrawing our line. And, and there's another aspect to this as well, which is probably not what where we're going or talking today, but if we don't sometimes buy from these people, we're not going to have anybody left on the land growing our food. Mm. All over Australia, I can tell you, and I can tell you specifically in Perth, there are farmers walking off the land or pulling up orange trees or pulling up plum trees because they can't sell them and they can't make a living, so they're selling them for housing. It's some of our best soil. Yeah. So, no, I'm not interested in buying, you know, generically sprayed stuff, but I am okay with buying stuff from a non-certified a organic farm. Yeah. And then I know what she's doing, yeah. okay? That's right. So, you know, I've made that choice that day mm. um, and, and happy with that choice as well. And then I can go past the hoggart, the lamb lady who's not certified, but she's a very good friend. I know exactly how she farms and brilliant. And then I get certified other um, poultry and duck stuff so that had gone I'd moved an hour out and that would take me about an hour and a quarter to get there on a Saturday morning so it took me months to work out where to shop but bit by bit what I have sussed out you just put it out there you put the network out there and now what I've done my daughter had contacted me she saw a Facebook thing and she said oh mum one of the girls that I went to uni with has got a little stall in Guildford which is about a 20 minute drive and they're part of the food hub system which if you google kind of local food hub or stuff like that there's all sorts of interesting things happening so I can now go on a Saturday morning and get what they're growing 20 minutes from where I live which is another really important area of of sourcing locally as possible the most beautiful product not a wide range but brilliant and it's cheap and then I discovered after much sussing out that there's a tin shack down five minutes down the road from me which opens on a Sunday morning and they sell what they grow but they also get biodynamic product from Demeter grows 30 minutes up the road Mm. so you have to be you've got to ask you've got to put it out on Facebook there's lots of interesting things happening all around but then we're kind of also getting into cost because when you go and buy it in a in a stall, that it's going to get marked up. Anytime anything, perishable or not, is going to have somebody moving it, putting it on a shelf, packaging it into a container. Those way you're going to be paying wages and you're also going to be paying workers' compensation and superannuation on those wages. It's going to cost you more. It's going to cost you a lot more. And I always like to say, to the listeners or to my readers is that when you are paying slightly more, shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg more for organic or biodynamic product, it is your right as an organic consumer to see the certification, to expect that product to be beautiful. Organic or biodynamic product is not half dead. (laughs) And it so often looks that way. And I have to give a shout out to um, my Yes, exactly. And to my not favorite. how it should be. No, it shouldn't. Suss it out. 
get out. You know, it takes a little while, but God, if I can do it here in Perth in the Upper Swan Valley. In other states, you'll have CSAs available to you, community-supported agriculture. There's none here. There'll be all sorts of, there's lots of interesting things happening. Mm. Or you might just have a brilliant market like Northeast Street in Brisbane. Oh, God, the markets in the United States. Be oh, still they're amazing. Up. Union Square Market. As soon Union as... Square Market. <laughs> oh, my God. Ferry Street. But, you know, they're a lot further along the path with markets than we are yeah. in Australia. They hit the wall a little bit earlier, so they've moved past that um, a lot earlier than we have. But there's still lots of ways that you can do it. Perishable and non-perishables. Find yourself a store that does bulk mm-hmm. and that has good turnover. So giving a plug here and that just popped into my mind but for example source whole foods does that really well yeah they do yeah you know um in australia but whatever find yourself a place that does bulk scoop it out of a bulk bin yourself it'll cost you probably what do you reckon about a quarter the price alex oh it depends in sydney because probably because of sydney rents it's about two-thirds of the price okay so Whichever, it will be cheaper. Yeah, definitely um, cheaper. And then you obviously save on a lot of packaging, which is absolutely yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my pick, but it just takes a little bit of time. But you can do it and you don't do it all at once. Mm. And you know what else you don't do? You don't kick yourself or say negative things to yourself in your head or think, oh, or feel guilty because you haven't done it quick enough or you're not Instagram perfect enough <laughs> or Facebook perfect enough or that you – you know, or, or that you haven't got in all those kind of things. We each do the best that we can do every day. You take it step by step and these things will take a while to get in place. They do. And you just, I'm a big believer in just thinking, okay, let's focus on chicken. Don't even focus yep. on meat as a broader no, character. Totally yeah, that's way too much. You could be talking about three different farms. Exactly. But just focus on yep. chicken and yep. say, okay, so how are they fed? Because that's a huge one. Free range means oh. nothing in this country, especially nothing. when it comes to what they're fed. So we don't want well, the have, GM grains you know, in there. We could just go down a deeper rabbit hole with that because one of the issues in Perth is it's a, Everywhere that you live, listener, is going to be different. Mm. There's no one thing. It's different everywhere. And it might be different six hours south or six hours north. But like, for example, in Perth, even some of the chicken issues over here where there might be amazing chicken stuff happening, there's still no feed for those chickens to be Mm. supplemented with uh, because West Australia doesn't grow enough organic certified organic feed. It's why we we can't have certified organic pork. Mm. So there's different issues affecting. So you might think that you've got a nice little line there for, okay, this is the kind of chicken I need to have. Mm. But there's a lot of backstories to that in different states. Yeah, there are. And Mm. and farmers just can't grow it fast enough. So then you might be making the decision, okay, well, at least we can ensure it's GM free, but maybe (sighs) conventional grain. Yeah. Well, and again, you might have better luck with that on the East Coast Mm. because very little guarantee of that in WA. It was actually incredibly hard to buy. And now that you remind me, when I was there, I wanted to cook a chicken fricassee for my Mauritian family because it was my grandmother's kind of famed recipe and I I wanted to cook something special for the family. And it was really hard to find organic chicken. It really was. Well, I mean, you kind of can get it. Mm. 
but it was astronomical. The massive issues here, and not necessarily so much on the east coast and and probably in the US, but WA just doesn't have an environment that grows enough seed grain mm. for feed. That's just how it is. So it's there are massive issues. So there are a lot of backstories, dear listener, wherever you're living, and all of them take considerable time. And just to give you another joyful, I don't want to overwhelm you or make you feel negative because it's not like that at all. But, you know, it changes. It's life. You're dealing with real things. So you might just get one thing sussed out and then, you know, your lovely egg farmer goes, well, I'm 67. My kids don't really want to take this over. I'm going to leave the land and those beautiful eggs are gone. Yeah. And you start the search again. My eggs were gone from my local market uh, a month ago. My farmer said, I'm so, I'm so sorry, it's just not worth our while coming mm-hmm. up. So you'll have to get them at the, the health shop that you get them at, which is great. But it's three times the price. Exactly. I was devastated. I was like, but you can't do this to me. And, you know, it happens to all of us all the time. It's moving it's parts. All It's moving parts, mm. but it's also more than moving parts. It's we are all individuals living real lives, even the person who grows your food. And when we're eating real food, we're involved in real lives as well. And I think that some of you might be saying, oh, for God's sake, Jude, well, you know, why should this is just much too hard? And I would say to you, this is the most important thing that you can do. It starts with our food that we eat. And, and that kind of dawning I had in, in New Orleans all that time ago, it's like that just downloaded straight away. It's like it starts with the air we breathe, what we put on our skin or whatever we put into our body. But it's we start with our food. And once we've got that sussed out, we can do the other bits we need, you know, the naturopathy or, the, or whatever. But it starts with our food and when we eat food that is grown in good soil or as close as possible to its natural state, preferably in season, then that is the best way that I know and that I've seen to keep us well so we're able to be vital, to be present, to be available to live this this amazing opportunity we have of our life. Mm. You know, it's a gift. It is a and, gift. And you can't do that when you're not well or you're sluggish or you're moody. It makes a huge difference to how your body functions. Yeah. And that, it's worth the time. And I think is would you agree that it's better than thinking of it as, or more useful rather, than thinking of it as this, oh, gosh, it's too hard, is perhaps it's big. Let's just accept it, be comfortable with that and go, right, well, we can't do big in one day. We can do all the little parts that make up the big thing once a week or once a month and change something and that sort of to help us not feel overwhelmed. Absolutely. You've got to do it step by step. Mm. For example, as you said, you might say, okay, I'm this month, I just might sort out chickens if we eat chicken or I might sort out eggs and I, I absolutely agree if you're vegetarian maybe sort out you know, sort out how to cook a whole grain uh, but we're sort we're, we're actually talking about sourcing food do it one step at a time break it down when you look at how humans have thrived over centuries you do it best by breaking things down into small parts that's how we make a quilt 
we start with small bits first and then we join them together and it takes considerable amount of time to do that but it, you do get there and it's how you learn to drive a car you don't you, you learn at a bit at a time and mm. it takes time so yeah but it can also be such a deeply rewarding part of life i don't see shopping as a chore i just like oh what am i going to be able to get today you know it's like oh my god it's I love food. <laughs> well, when it's the seasons as well and when you're tapping yes. into nature's gifts instead of buying Absolutely. the Tim Tams, for example, yeah. which are available every day of the year anywhere you want to get them. Well, actually. Which are um, horrible and full of additives. Yeah, caveat. They're not available outside of Australia very often, but here it's like a, it's treated as some sort of a national snack and it's packed full of junk. But, you know, once you're buying the seasons, it's true. It's a surprise. It's exciting. And I remember the first time I realised what seasonal cooking was all about. I had Maggie Beer's beautiful harvest book. Maggie Beer. Yeah, you know her book that goes through seasonal recipes? Harvest, I think it's called. Harvest. Harvest, exactly. It's stunning. And there was a a pear tart in there and I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to make. And, of course, I was reading the autumn section in summer. (laughs) You know, typical yep. novice and then get to my health shop because I'm all excited that I buy organic produce now and I have to give a shout out to Whole Foods House up in Willara. And, um, oh, and of course, and that's another one. Good on you. I'm glad yeah, you did. Such because an amazing, I'm a amazing big fan of what they do. Store. I think also, can we just say and throw that into that Honest to goodness, have a little shop section as well. Oh, they're great. Yes. They're brilliant. Super so, great. you know, you've got some great places in Sydney. Great options, exactly. And I I get there and I'm all excited and I'm looking everywhere in the little fruit section. I'm like, what? There's no pears. Veggies are beautiful, actually. Stunning. And every time I cook, uh, quite often, if I don't go to the market that week, I'll go to them. And without fail, everyone always comments on their produce. It'll be the best broccoli anyone's ever tasted. It'll be the best coriander anyone's ever smelt. It's always like, where did you get this? Their produce. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, good point. Yeah. So, yeah, it was my first realisation that you really do have to change your way of thinking and think not, damn you for not supplying pears to me on the day that I wanted to make this pear tart, but, ooh, what could I make a tart with? What fruits are in season right now? How can Uh, I mix this up? And it got so much more exciting. It's like food is such a it's an, it, it while it is our primal requirement, it's also something that can provide great joy and deliciousness. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of guilt around food at the moment and this whole in inverted commas clean eating kind of thing, which drives me nuts. Mm. It's like all food should be good enough to eat and there's nothing wrong with joy and deliciousness. And can I just slip in there (laughs) sweetness nothing wrong with wholesome sweetness either so i just wanted to slip that in there but that aspect of seasonality that's probably a different step i'd say when people are just starting out probably just you know get your some structures in place of where you can go that kind of thing first then move into seasonality and i'd like to just if you don't mind because literally i'm just editing that bit now but when i do the first online class, which is going up in October, which is going to be uh, get organised for the week ahead. Seasonality is a key part of that. Yeah. As you know, seasonality is a key whole food foundational principle. And there's so much joy in eating seasonally. Mm. Uh, 
And, and I think that we've relegated eating or cooking to the absolute bottom of the heap. Like, oh, I don't have time to do that or I've just got to eat. And I think that is what we need to change. We need to make time in our life or get move something else or let go of something else so we can actually give the time that is needed for the thing that keeps us alive That's and right. provides so much joy and deliciousness for our life as well. And it's such a mindset shift, isn't it? To, it is a mindset shift. We're literally trying to knock down in decades of marketing yes. messages telling us, yes. no, you're above cooking. You know, just No, you don't need to do that. That's, or that's it's a chore. And, and look, it is a chore. Yeah, feeding the dinner beast. Oh, look, yeah, okay, it is a thankless, relentless task. But there are ways that, you know, it's you have to do it. So why not bring a little bit more presence to it and, and enjoy it a little bit more? You have to do it either way. So I figure, right, I'm going to find a way to make it a healthier, less negative part of life. It shouldn't be that. Mm. No, there's no room for negativity, guilt, judgment, fear, no. all of it. No. So to that end, we've started to get our produce at home. Yes. And people really, I think a huge part of why cooking feels like a chore is because we're, we're trying to skill back up again to the point where we can actually just cook and it's not a big deal to try and think of how to make dinner appear. Yep. So what what are those first steps for people who are struggling? You know, maybe we've got a double working family, we're very yep. busy, time poor, parental situation, young kids. Yep. And if you didn't grow up knowing how to cook, it does feel like this huge insurmountable thing. It's like I always liken it to me getting a new phone and it kind of just sits there like this scary thing in the corner and I look at it while I use my old phone so comfortably and fast thinking that is going to provide me hours of torture and very little gain and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate that thing. And I oh, think a lot of people feel like that about cooking when they... Oh, my God, I so love that because that's what I do with yeah. technology too. In fact, I, I bought a new computer a couple, a few years ago and I couldn't cope with the new software program so I gave it to my daughter and kept my older one. Yeah, it um, happens. But nonetheless, I think the first thing that we need to understand, it is a skill, okay? Mm. And look, I love Jamie Oliver to bits. But, you know, he will go out there and he'll say, like, cooking's not rocket science. Well, it's not for him. You know, he grew up in a kitchen, like, from the age of two, and he's highly pedigreed. It is a skill. It is like learning to drive a car when you're – or it's like if I went to learn to become a mechanic, which, you know, really would be just super hysterical. It, I would be stressed out. It would take me hours to do something. We learn in two ways. We first learn intellectually or cognitively, and as that becomes a repeated pattern, it kind of, I say, sinks into your DNA and you don't have to, you, it's kind of like an automatic learning, you, it doesn't actually continue to use all that neuron space in your brain. So you have to accept that if you, that, that is where you are, that it is a skill that you are learning, but just like shopping for food, it is a critical life skill and I think it's worth learning. I would say my best advice for people is that I would say to you, don't start out thinking that you have to learn to cook, for example, uh, with wholemeal flours, baking or different sweeteners or, or learn to do something that you, you really don't know how to do. No, that's not what I want to say. Um, it's, it's more that aspect of don't think you have to start out at the end line. It's yes, going to take I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I mm. often say to people, 
just if you haven't cooked and you're buying biscuits mm. or you're buying cupcakes for your kids' lunches, get a something in Australia like a Woman's Weekly um, Cookbook or in the US there will be versions of that as well. It might be The Joy of Cooking or something like that where you just go and buy white flour. It can be organic or not, but white flour, eggs, butter and sugar, and none of it has to be organic, and make a cupcake or make a biscuit you are light years ahead of what you're buying. Yeah, exactly. Once you understand the basics or the mechanics of cooking those things, then you think, okay, I'm going to possibly I might start with I'll change the sugar that I'm using and use a more whole sugar. You do it step by step by step. But, of course, there are some really, I think Jamie Oliver's got some really good how to cook books, like really basic. Delia Smith, loved yeah. Delia Smith. Now, she's English, but she's got like how to cook volume one, how to cook volume two, how to cook volume three. Maggie B is too far advanced for her. I tell you who else is brilliant in Australia, Stephanie Alexander, but not her big book, her kitchen garden book for children recipe book. Go, there'll be people in the US and everywhere there's going to be people that have like a how to cook. And that's where I would recommend you start because you learn things about how you work with thermal mass. And I'm going to definitely be doing those things online next year too. But how the pot you cook, the pot you choose will impact on your end result. Uh, and can I just throw in here the biggest mistake I see that people make when they're cooking? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, hands down, is that they use too high a heat. Higher heat is not going to get you to the finish line any quicker. Okay? It just isn't. And so lower that heat down, saves your consciousness. High heat, you've got to be more conscious. And it also can lead to oh, so many disasters so quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, higher heat. Don't just slow it down a little bit. But all those things matter. The pot you use, uh, the idea of thermal mass, all those very fundamental things of cooking, what a boil is, what a simmer is, what a gentle simmer is, and how those things work. It's a skill take it step by step. Great advice. So in taking it step by step, can yep. I ask you a couple of kitchen secrets? Go for it. Okay. The perfect roast chook. Oh, the perfect roast chook. Okay. Funnily enough, that's one of the things I'm doing in the new online program oh, that's yay. Coming up in right. October. That, and there's a video as well. But I'll tell you right now, high heat. Mm -hmm. If you're using an heirloom chicken, uh, then you have to lower the heat and it'll take longer. What's an heirloom but, chicken by difference? Okay, so what you'll see happening in the US and Australia now is the availability of heirloom breeds of chicken. So, yes, they can be organic or not organic, but the bird itself. So in Australia, there's up until very recently, as we have become more and more industrialised and commercialised, a meat bird all meat birds, whether they're free range or organic or commercial, are bred from one breed, yeah. okay? Uh, and that breed has been bred to have very large breast meat, okay? So if you buy that chicken as a commercial chicken, it will be fed different stuff. So the same chick will be bought. It will be fed different stuff and it will be rapidly grow and you'll eat it or they'll sell it at about six weeks. If it's free range, 
they're fed slightly different stuff and you probably have it at about eight weeks. If it's organic, again, they're fed different stuff. You'd probably have it about 12 weeks, but it's still the same breed. And I have to tell you, it is a heartbreaking breed to see being grown even organically. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at some of the things that have been bred into that that breed. I think it's called Ross. I can't, don't know, something like that. So what you see happening all over Australia and certainly in the US and, and in England is a return to original and a broader range of birds. They don't have that large meat. In Australia, the one that you're seeing is the summer lad chicken. A summer lad is so a breed that has been bred from old heirloom breeds. It handles a hot Australian climate a lot better because that's how it bred back in the, you know, kind of like in the very early, probably late 19th century, early 20th century. It's very able to go and peck and forage for its own food, etc. It's a lot leaner. The meat's a lot darker. It's slightly tougher, so you need to cook it a little bit slowly because they move so much. So that's an heirloom breed. Mm-hmm. High heat is, is I think, really is the secret. Fan-forced? Yes, I like fan-forced. Oh, and the tin that you use, that's the other really important thing. Don't have a, a tin, a baking dish that's got too high a side. So for example, the two baking dishes I have in my yeah. home is a, I've got the Lucrece enamel coated cast iron and I love that baking dish, but they're, the side, the depths of the side, they're about oh, probably about six centimetres. Mm, they are high. And, and it's, a, it's a, even five and a half centimetres and it's just too high. Mm. So I've got my good old fashioned enamel coated tin, you know those ones. Yeah. Brilliant, and I've had it for years, and I use it all the time. the The sides are probably about my little thing, probably about three and a half, four, and they're flanged out a little bit, and it gets the heat in there. I prefer fan forced, yeah. Yeah, and when you say high temp, are we talking? Oh, one. So if you fan forced, yeah. so conventional oven two hundred yeah. fan forced will depend on your oven, but you got to remember fan they're all different, and yeah. you're going to be anywhere from fifteen to twenty degrees lower. Yeah, in mine, I'm at about hundred and ninety. Yeah, um, but again, you're going to have to keep your eye on it too, and that's the other thing about cooking and about writing recipes. I mean, I could write recipes that were pages long, mm. quite frankly. <laughs> it's it's they are mud maps. When you're cooking real food, what you are dealing with is the variabilities and vagaries of nature. Yeah. And you need to always be attuned to that. I am a big fan of looking at it, looking at your thing that's baking, whether it be a cake or cauliflower cheese or pastry or whatever it is, because I promise you it'll probably be different every time Mm. because dealing with different ingredients, that chicken is different from the chicken from another time. But generally, I think probably about a one point, I like a chicken around 1.5. I like them a little bit smaller. And if I'm going to probably do two smaller rather than one larger, but if you're doing one chicken at about 1.5, it should take an hour. Wow. Okay. Yep. That's, that's probably about what we do. In our oven, we've found we have to start it breast side down. 20 minutes and then turn her over and breast side up for the last 40. Right. Oh, you are so more organised than me. I chuck it in. Well, that's not true. I don't chuck it in. I kind of, I like to do a little bit of a herbal rub all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Got to give it a bit of love. I just put it in, basically. I don't turn it. And But, you know, look, sometimes another way I love to do chicken, because it's quick, is I like to cut the backbone out and um, butterfly it. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that and then just flatten it out. And there's a great recipe in Whole Food from the ground up for that where I marinate it the night before in kind of buttermilk and yogurt and rosemary and garlic and and it's super easy. But yeah, there's going to be, I've actually done the video. So there's a video in that new program on roasting chicken and making gravy. Yum. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, high heat, keep an eye on it. Do never be afraid to turn your heat down. I think that's a really good message. On the oh, heat I front. mean, when yeah. things baking, don't mm. be afraid to turn it down on top of the stove either. But don't be afraid when you're making a cake or cooking that chicken. If you look in, so I can, so an experience that I had. So my chicken usually 1.5 an hour, nice and hot, fine. But then a couple of weeks ago, I had that same situation, and I looked in it, and I kind of went, ah, oh, my God, it was like really getting way too dark on top and the, some of the herbage that I'd rubbed on it was kind of getting a bit burnt and I just turned it down. So who knows what had happened in that rearing of that heirloom, of that not, it wasn't an heirloom chicken. Who knows what happened? But something happened because it responded very differently. Wow. That's good food. And I think that's, I mean, the point there is, is that we have to bring our brains to the party when we cook. It's, we have to bring our consciousness to mm, the party and your be skill, there. It's, yeah. it's like learning to drive a car. Mm. You still have to make choices. You have the skill, but you still have to, if you see something happening ahead of you, you have to assess what you think you might need to do. Yeah, and I think when it, I, I liken it to cooking lamb backstraps, one of my favourite treats. Oh, I, I yeah. just think it's such a treat and we don't have it often because it's pretty exy down here, but when we do... And it's expensive here too, yeah. Yeah, but... I'm nearly 42 and it's really only in the last year that I feel super confident that it's absolutely going to be perfectly cooked. Yeah. And it's, and that's, you know, a good 14 years of very actively trying to figure out what the heck is going on with cooking. It's a skill. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a skill. That's how it is. Like don't ask me to cook pork or beef or really even a lot of, of meat dishes it's not my forte. Mm. I don't have enough skill in that area. I don't really want to learn the skill in that area. Yeah. I've got lots of other areas I'm far more interested in, like beans and sea veggies and whole grains and, dare I say, baking and dessert and pastry. Oh, I uh, love da- ba- baking and dessert. My goodness. Yeah, but it is, it's a sk- and you're always learning. We never stop learning, but things become a little bit easier because we learn our foundational stuff. And then we can build on that. But isn't that how all of human life learns or even natural life? You you start by lying on your back, then you roll over and then you get that down and then you crawl and then you stand up and you walk and then you can, you know, we build step by step on foundational principles and it's exactly the same in cooking and in walking a whole food journey. Yeah. And so I might finish by asking you, I, I know grains is a big topic and I, I'm, I don't yep. think we need to necessarily go into are they good for you, aren't they? There is a lot of science. Oh, please, can we? Oh, <laughs> we can. But look, I think a lot of it comes down to how they're prepared and this is something I absolutely learnt from you. So can you give us some of your best 
wisdom when it comes to eating grains in a sustainable and healthy way? Okay, the, the first thing I'd like to say is that I think the whole and natural food industry, it's highly fractionalised at the moment. And I think we're in a very similar time to the that 70s where you saw that whole explosion of the vegetarian kind of movement and even vegan movement to a degree that meat is evil. With that far right swing of industrialization of food. Okay, so that's the 60s was when it was massively coming in in the US. And in the 70s and 60s, you saw that huge swing against it to the left, expressed in, you know, meat is evil and vegetarian movement, etc. And I think we're in a very similar situation now where processing and the additives that are put in food or the fakeness of food is profound now it's mind-boggling it's not food it's and the lack of any understanding anymore about food or that what you eat or what you put in your body will have an impact whether you like it or not because that's just the the laws of physics one and one will always equal two Mm. what you on or in your body will have an impact so i think I'd like to qualify it by saying that, and I think what we're seeing is this extreme movement again to highly fractionalised ways of, of, of eating. Raw food, uh, carbohydrate is evil, sugar's evil, what else is evil? Pretty much everything these days. Cooking food is evil. Mm, oh, um, yes, very which evil. Which is just yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> um, that's not, that is not answering that. So this is why the question that fascinates me is what does make the food that we eat wholesome and healthy or ethical and sustainable? And I can tell you none of those things are the things like if you eat meat or if you have grain or if you have dairy, there are a lot of other things that are more important, i.e. the soil, eating food close to the natural state, um, seasonality, stress, can I, living a crazy life. There's all sorts of things, and I go through those really clearly in Whole Food from the ground up. But one of those things is that with some of nature's foods, generally her seeds, we need to make them software compatible, okay? Yeah. And it's like I work on a Mac, and but I've got to work on Word and because that's how the world has to work on Word, particularly with your publishers. And so I go and buy... Microsoft Word and I come home and I put it onto my computer, it doesn't work, and I go, oh, my God, I'm Microsoft intolerant. <laughs> but I'm not. I bought Microsoft for a PC and not Microsoft for a Mac. Uh-huh. And and nature seeds are very similar, you know, so. Microsoft intolerant, that's one of my favourite things. <laughs> I am, but, but I'm not. But, but that's yeah. what, you know, we're not. So with grains, There's a lot of things going on. You can't refine the hell out of them and expect them to behave the same way in our body. But what we do need to do when we're having whole grains is we do need to make them software compatible for our human body. So to do that, what we're going to have to do is to soak them and in some cases add an acid to them. Mm -hmm. And what this is is an understanding that in all of nature's seeds, grains, legumes, nuts, sunflower seeds, etc., Nature is doing two things. Have we got a little bit of time? Do you want yeah, to- of course. Okay, okay. So nature is doing two things. With all of her seeds, absolute prime directive is to survive, and she's done a pretty good job. So the way she survives is through her seeds. It's the way all of life on the earth plane survives. So with those seeds, she doesn't want them to sprout until conditions are right. 
So those conditions are right when there's moisture. So she packs them with all sorts of things. Number one, she doesn't keep those sugars in really simple formats, like when a corn is fresh off the bush or, or when a grain is fresh off bush or a bean seed, the bean itself is just picked off the bush. There's a lot of moisture in that grain and milk and it's like the sugars are in really simple formats. Well, that's not going to last very long at all. So she packs them and stores them into more complex forms of sugars, complex carbohydrate. And so when they have the right conditions, which is moisture in the soil and to a degree warmth, what happens is that you get this biochemical and there's lots of enzymes packed in that seed to stop them from sprouting as well. So both of those things are not easy for us to digest, those more complex sugars and those enzymes. When they start to get that moisture they go and warmth, they're like, oh, time for me to grow. And you get this biochemical process where that you get different enzymes released which break down those other enzymes, so to speak and they're free to start sprouting and then those more complex sugars are broken down into simpler sugars to feed the growing plant. Those simpler sugars, I'm banging my desk here as I say this, mm -hmm. those simpler sugars are far easier for you to digest than complex sugars. So in a very basic sense, when you just soak your grain overnight, you are making a profound difference to how you can digest that carbohydrate and the enzymes that are present. So that's just the first thing. And if you can give warmth to that water, even better. Number two, nature packs those seeds with a lot of what we call anti-nutrients. These are things like lectins and tannins and, and, and yes, um, phytic acid, but phytic acid is more a form of how nature stores phosphorus. But nonetheless, all these things don't make it really easy for us to digest or we don't get all the goodies out of that. And nature does that primarily so all those seeds don't get scooped up by all the animals and are lost forever. So the animals can still eat them and poo them out and, and they're still going to be fairly viable to grow. So what we do, one of the best ways to get rid of all those things is acid and one of the best ways to have acid is to lacto-ferment your food. And that's why when you put a grain in water with warmth or a legume in a grain with water with warmth, what you are activating or what you're providing the right conditions for is lacto-fermentation, which is all those bugs that are all on that grain are going to go, oh, baby, food, i.e. sugar. And the warmer it is, you know, like at blood temperature, they will set to work consuming some of those anti-nutrients, breaking down some of those anti-nutrients, releasing lactic acid into the water, which also will help break down phytic acid, and breaking down some of those sugars and consuming some of the sugars. And also, if you have a nice long lacto-fermentation, can break down a fair degree or some of the gluten in it as well. So it's a pretty cool thing. A lot of so look, you can get stressed and add acid to the water, but really your most important steps are soak it in water, keep it warm, and if you want to, add an acid to it. I always prefer to add a, a cultured acid. So, for example, yogurt or yogurt whey or kefir or kefir whey or for dairy-free ones, kombucha, um, water kefir, a little bit of juice from the sauerkraut if you like, because you're kind of bumping up the lacto-fermentation. 
Yeah, makes sense. So choose and, the the fermented acid yeah. over, say, just squeezing a lemon. Because well, you're it. adding bugs into it and yeah. kind of putting it up. And I promise you, it makes a profound difference. Oh my God, it's just night and day as to how you digest that grain. And then if you cook that grain in a bone stock, that will also make it so much more digestible. Or put some animal fat into it so you can at least absorb the some of the nutrients. And my shortcut and one of the highest values of bone stock, if you have not soaked your grain or you haven't got enough time or you've forgotten about it, you know what? Cook it in a bone stock and it will make a difference. Yeah. It I- won't be as brilliant, but it will make a difference. Yeah. And again, it's about doing what you can on the day. You couldn't soak it, you do the bone stock and that's okay. The world is not going to fall apart. Your nutrition is not going to fall to pieces. You're not going to get sick. It is not. And and what I'd like to remind people is like, and, and I think one of the things I think for you as well, Alex, would be very relevant is I've grown up in a generation where, well, my mum's now 97 and most of her cohort are alive and are still active like you know you see these the in the anzac day marches it's these guys they're still there they're still living you know mum still lives at home Uh, a lot of her cohort is in a similar situation they had grains that weren't soaked they had white sugar and white flour what they did do yes they had a lot of physical activity they ate food that was grown closer to home, it was all seasonal unless it was preserved. So it was a lot more vital. There was a lot more life force. The soil was in better condition. They weren't as, they had days off. I guess you could say to a degree, going to mass on a Sunday and having family lunch was a chance to be rather than do, no matter what you think about religion, but there was some spiritual aspect of life. It wasn't just all intellectual. There are a lot of very good foundational whole food principles going on. Oh, you know, can I say they survived without nuts as well? Mm, yeah. And raw cow and chia seed. <laughs> they were fine. Okay, okay, of, okay. <laughs> they had a lot of fish. Yeah. I grew up with a lot of fish mm. and seafood. We didn't eat a lot of meat. We didn't, it was um, probably balanced, I guess you could say, a little bit of everything. Yeah. But simple, not, we live in a world where it's simply everything is available to us all the time now. Yeah. I don't know that that's such a good thing. Mm. It, it's it's almost like growing up, you know, now generationally when you think careers, like the, the prospect of infinite choice can actually be a negative. Absolutely. Because yeah. it can, you know, can stop us from committing, it can stop our brains from simply processing things and I think the same thing's yep. happening in food. Everyone's so terrified that they're making the wrong choice because there are so many choices that we forget to listen to the best health professional which is the inside us our bodies well that's very true Mm. and and also i think i'm very and i own that i'm very influenced by what i've seen and what i've seen is my mum's generation I think probably healthier than our generation to a degree that that ate that did these kind of things and kind of to a degree are are a little bit happier as well you know living a much simpler life with far less choices now i'm not to say that it wasn't all bed of roses and it was just yeah i'm not i'm not eye in the sky looking at the unicorn but we live generally now a very stressed 
and a very crazy life. The human body is, is not designed or mind is not designed for that kind of craziness, particularly in the winter seasons. I think we have far too many expectations of ourselves. I think we're trying to do too many things. I think we do far too much multitasking. It's, yeah, I'm very much on that path of, I think would be of simplifying, of all the, when I look through all my books, really, if I was doing another book, just don't know that I'm all that keen to do, I would really be working on a far more simple system now. Simple is very grounding. Simple food, a simpler life, you know, that whole declutter your life kind of thing is very nourishing to the body and soul. I totally agree and I think that's why there's a huge movement towards it after this flurry of complication. Yeah. You know, it's like we're seeking that out again because it's human nature to keep things simple. You know, you can only do so much. You can, yeah. And I know that we're talking about food and all these things but one of the things that I'd really encourage you to do uh, for all of these lovely people listening is I'd really say look at your life. You know, there are things that you don't need to be doing. Yeah. You can let go of. And I put my kindergarten teacher's hat on and I would say your children do not need to be doing the number of things that that they're doing after school, Mm. particularly in winter. Because we're setting them up to make life be this complicated thing we've got to run around from and to. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Make room in your life for the things that matter to you. And lo and behold, food will probably start mattering a whole bunch more because we get the well, time to make that connection. Well, that's the most important things. That's right. You know, mm. Food, it's like, as I said, it informs all we are and all we can be. And, yeah. and as does love, you know, there's nourishment for the body and nourishment for the soul without which neither, if we don't have either, you do not, you fail to live or you fail to thrive without either. Yeah, and that is just such a beautiful note to end on. Yeah, we've covered a lot today, but hopefully out there from today's chat, if you were feeling confused or downhearted because you hadn't achieved enough in the kitchen yet or sourced enough of a pristine, you know, (laughs) uh, food selection, then give yourself a break. Take a little mental holiday. Take the week off. Just cook things you love and then come back to you next little thing you're going to work on next week, right? Step by step by step. Love it. Yeah. I feel like we just wanted to hug everybody out there. Today. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting that vibe that if we could just hug people who were feeling disheartened or confused, then we absolutely would. So consider this a hug, guys. Absolutely a hug. And come visit me too. Yes. Please yeah. get Jude's books. You will be come in for a treat if you haven't discovered them yet. And, of course, there's all the amazing things that you've got coming up online and you're gorgeous to follow on Instagram as well. Such a beautiful energy. Can I do it? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you know. But I will pop a whole bunch of little links that you can um, connect with Jude's work because she's um, a treat of a human you are, Jude. Oh, look, thank you. But <laughs> I'm, I'm right back at you. Oh, but, okay. but in a sense... You know, this is the I love doing this kind of thing, and um, Alex and I will probably do a lot more of this too. Yeah. Won't we? Oh, we sure will. Absolutely. We will. Yeah. yeah. We'll we'll conspire and collude when we have lunch in September. <laughs> Excellent. I love that idea of conspiring and colluding. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been lovely to meet you all today too. Lovely. So lovely to spend time talking about our most favourite subject. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jude. See you, Alex. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 
that's another show done. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Always so much inspiration from our beautiful guests or me when I feel like having a solo show. And I just want to take a minute to say thank you for taking the time to leave a review for our show because it helps us stay visible and helps other people who maybe haven't discovered it yet go, ooh, that looks like it might be worth a look. So if the show has provided value to you, there's nothing you can do to thank me more than to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you access the show from. So what you do is you just search generally in the podcast app. Don't be in the list of shows because you won't be able to leave a review there. So once you've searched generally, you'll see the tile come up and you click on that tile and then a little set of tabs will come up and the middle one is called review. And from there, you can click it, star rate it and leave a review. And I appreciate that so much. Now, if you want to connect with the rest of the Lotox Life community, wherever on Instagram at Lotox Life or on the main website uh, where there are a whole bunch of recipes some incredible e-learning opportunities depending on what your Lotox goals are. And that is www.lotoxlife.com. And of course, if you want to check out the podcast show notes, you just do forward slash podcast and everything's there. So I look forward to continuing our chats in between shows online in the community.